Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Pat Flynn, and we're going to talk about how to keep people watching YouTube videos to the very, very end. And trust me when I tell you this is solid, solid gold. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And by the way, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Pat Flynn. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Pat Flynn. If you don't know who Pat is, you got to know Pat. He's an active keynote speaker and host of the Smart Passive Income podcast. He's author of Will It Fly? And his latest book is Superfans. And his latest YouTube channel has more than 85 million views in less than two years. Pat, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Even better now that we're talking again on the show, which is awesome. I love hanging out with you and just big shout out to you and your team and everything you're doing. I can't wait to go to the event next year, by the way. Well, yeah. Well, welcome back for the sixth time, Pat. It's super exciting to have you. What we're going to talk about today, Pat and I, is how to keep people watching YouTube videos to the end. And some of you listening right now might be like, Pat Flynn, YouTube videos, wait, isn't he like in, in the podcasting world? What does that have to do with videos and all this kind of stuff? So let's kind of catch people up because it's been a couple of years since you've been on the show. So talk to us a little bit about what's transpired with you and your journey into YouTube, because I think people are going to find it really fascinating. Yeah. So first of all, I've been on YouTube for a while. I had my channel started in 2009, and this is the one sort of that goes along with Smart Passive Income and the brand that most people know me for, business advice, entrepreneurship, that sort of thing. And that's been 
pretty good and it's been slowly growing and that has just recently passed 384,000 subscribers or something. So I'm very proud of that, but that's a 12 year journey. I started a new channel at the end of 2020 or at the start of 2021 that currently less than two years into it, we just crossed 409,000 subscribers. And like you said, 85 million views and it's generating some pretty significant revenue. And it, it's to the point now where this community that I've built there is uh, excited about a brand new event that I'm putting together in Anaheim, California, an in-person event with hopefully thousands of people who are all interested in Pokemon. Okay, so so Pokemon. So, okay, let's back up the train a little bit. Tell us a little bit of the story. Was this something that came out of COVID and you decided to scratch an itch? Like, tell us a little bit about how you went down this path. Yeah, it kind of happened as a result of COVID. And during COVID, you know, a lot of people hold up at home and a lot of people wanting to go find an escape somewhere. And a lot of people went to the collectible space and all collectibles started to see a big surge, everything from sports cards to comic books and of course, Pokemon. Now, I didn't go into this thinking that I was going to create a YouTube channel. In fact, it was my kids who got me into it. My son and my daughter collecting Pokemon cards, getting really interested in it, and then introducing me to some people in that space who are on YouTube. There are many YouTubers who've been doing Pokemon for a while, opening cards on the videos and showing the fun, rare cards that they uh, have, reacting really cool, talking about the investment part of it as well, you know, buying cards, holding them, selling them, flipping them, etc. And I just got really interested in it. And then now, of course, you know, two years later, my kids have moved on to other hobbies and I've dove in really deep into it so much, in fact, that after maybe three or four months in that community and stepping up and stepping into those community, and by that, I mean, like being a mod for some of the live streamers that were doing that, uh, reaching out to them and seeing what I could do to serve those people and their communities, because I just, it really brought back a lot of memories for me when I was a kid playing with cards, Magic the Gathering cards, Pokemon cards, that sort of thing. And I was like, this is really cool. All these adults now who were once kids with me in the 90s who, you know, we would use our allowance to buy these cards. Now we have some money to spare to buy these cards and go a little bit bigger into it. And so I got roped into it and I decided to form a channel because I noticed that there were a lot of the same kinds of content from all these different creators. And I thought that I could bring something different, better storytelling, which is something that we're definitely going to get into today. And bringing a lot of the things that I've learned from my other channel about what works on YouTube and what doesn't work on YouTube into this space. And here we are now, we probably have the fourth most popular channel in the space, but we're this sort of new group and we're putting on an event and we're, we're seeing millions of views on videos now. It's kind of wild. It's super exciting. And for those that only know Pat from the smart passive income side of things, Pat is also the architect, if you will, slash co-creator of SwitchPod, right? And SwitchPod is this cool little contraption that allows you to easily put your DLSL or camera on it. He got a lot of great press from YouTubers and he was speaking on a lot of the YouTube events. And, and I would imagine along the lines really honed your craft of creating videos for your main channel as a result of all these things together, partly to help promote the SwitchPod, but also because you had a personal passion in this. And then you took all that wisdom, if I'm not mistaken, right? And you kind of poured it into this new channel. Is that accurate? That's 100% true. And you know, a lot of people who were in the Pokemon space for years who see this Pat Fling guy come out of nowhere and build this incredible channel, they come to me and go, wow, like you came out of nowhere, like what a overnight success you are. And I said, no, not true at all. I've been on YouTube, like I said, since 09. And I've taken all those mistakes, all those learnings and the events that I've gone to from VidSummit to VidCon and your event. All those learnings have now been packed into this new channel. And so, you know, I'm able to sort of bring the best of what I've learned into that space. And because it's a space outside of entrepreneurship, you know, and also it's not a crossover very much with my current channel. So this was kind of brand new. 
And my positioning on this channel is not as an expert in this space as well. That's something that I just knew very quickly that I wouldn't be able to compete on. I haven't been a Pokemon collector for a very long time, so I don't know everything. I don't have all the amazing cards that some of these other collectors do. I don't know all the ins and outs of the market, but I do know storytelling and I could take people on the journey as I build my collection. They can kind of build it alongside with me and, and learn as I go. And then I can bring that entertainment factor and all the little nuances of YouTube that I know work from holding attention to engaging everything from live streams to shorts, everything. It's been really cool to see. And it's, it's amazing because some people who find me there think that that's my full-time thing. And no, it's still on the side. The Switch Pod was an on-the-side thing when the Switch Pod happened. Now this Pokemon thing is an on-the-side thing, but it's doing really well and we'll see where it goes. Well, and something else that you did that I think we forgot to mention is, and I'm pretty sure this was during the same time period, you decided to go live every single day on your primary channel. Wasn't that during... COVID as well? That was during COVID, yeah. In March of 2020, I went live to answer a bunch of questions that a lot of my entrepreneur followers had about, well, what are we going to do? And like just essentially being a soundboard for helping people around that time because there was a lot of unknowns around that time. So I decided to go live for one day and then they said, wow, we should do this again tomorrow. And I said, okay, well, I got nowhere to go. Let's do it again tomorrow. And then tomorrow became seven days straight. Seven days straight became one month straight. And then I decided to go 365 days straight live for the entrepreneurial audience there. And that was really interesting because a number of uh, things I've learned from that. First of all, the community that you can cultivate by continually showing up is amazing. I mean, these people became friends and eventually when we could meet in person again, a lot of the people who met each other on the live streams that I held actually ended up flying to see each other and building you know, even deeper relationships there. They even created their own Slack community and I didn't even know that that was happening all because I was facilitating these interactions with the community, which is something I talk about a lot and super fans, once you build your audience, you want to build spaces for people for your audience to find each other. So that's what was happening. But the other interesting thing that happened with my YouTube channel was it didn't grow. It kind of was stagnant as far as the number of subscribers and the views and whatnot. I mean, I was seeing the same people every single day, but because of the algorithm and the way live streaming worked, it didn't really have a far wide reach as some of my other more pre-recorded VODs or, or videos on demand. And that was an interesting learning, but I did learn a lot about how to hold an audience's attention while live, which I've also incorporated into my channel at Deep Pocket Monster. We go live once a week. I open cards, we give some stuff away. And I, uh, I did one yesterday. We had 2,000 people watching concurrently yesterday, which was amazing as we crossed some thresholds in our, in our channel. Well, and knowing you, Pat, you and I are kind of alike. We're more performance artists, if you will, that like to practice and get our message down and being forced to go live every single day must have completely pushed you out of your comfort zone and just forced you to just fly with the, the stuff that happened on the stream. Am I accurate on that? Yeah, definitely accurate. I mean, it definitely forced me to understand how to tell better stories on the fly, right? To learn the archetype of a story, to be able to hold a person's attention from the beginning to engaging them through the middle, especially as our attention spans have gotten shorter because of the likes of a lot of these short form platforms, and then really come in with a climax at the end or some lesson that they could take home with them. And then again, just doing it again the next day. Not, you know, I wasn't perfect and I still say um a lot and I still made a lot of mistakes, but you have to get through those mistakes to get better. And what I, when I ended up doing after a few months was realizing that I could focus on one or two things in every live stream to improve. And by that incremental improvement over time, it just exponentially grows. So one day I might come live and say, you know what, I'm going to work on my slide transitions today. And I really want those to be really clean and neat. And it's very minute, it's very small. But once I learn and how to master that, because I focused on it, 
then the next time I do it, it's going to be a lot easier and I can focus on something else. Another time I might try to get some background music in while live and try to understand how to introduce some different flavors to the storytelling. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But as long as I'm continually trying to improve and not staying stagnant or complacent, then I know that I only have room to grow. It's not always a unicorns and rainbows ride there, but it is definitely something that if I can learn from my mistakes and give me that moment to fail, then I can have moments of, of improvement over time. So uh, I think this is another reason why the live streams on Deep Pocket Monster have done so well, because I went live for 365 days straight before. So I, I'm, I'm sort of over the hump of, oh, I'm afraid, or I don't know what I'm doing here. I can now work on the, the sort of opposite side of it and try to challenge myself and bring something even, even more clever and interesting to the space. Pat, what I love about what you're doing and really what I think you've always done really well is create really high quality, long form content, long form video, right? We live in this era right now where everybody's talking about reels and everybody's talking about TikTok and everything is about short, piffy little things. And here you are out there with 85 million views on this channel doing, yes, probably some shorts, but most of the stuff you're doing, I would imagine is, is longer, like 10 minutes or longer, right? So what do you want to say to creators, creatives, marketers on why maybe long form video ought to be something they, they ought to focus on? Yeah, I mean, the long form videos, especially on a platform like YouTube, get not just reach capability. I mean, podcasting is great, for example, but podcasts don't have that algorithm and that reach capability like a YouTube video has. And the longer the video, obviously, the more watch time you have. And that is a very important component when it comes to the algorithm and how much support you'll get. Because really, when you really think about it, YouTube wants people to stay on the platform. And when you help YouTube do that, i.e. you have videos that keep people's attention and also get clicked on and you know watched, they're going to reward you for that because they want to show video that keeps people on the platform to others. And they have all the data, they have the history, the viewing history of others to just find those avatars that match who it is that your target audience is. And just amazing things can happen from there. So the long form videos are also amazing because you can tell sort of one bigger story and you can have maybe something at stake for people to see at the end, whether or not it works out or not. But all the way through, you can bring a lot more of your personality into it. And what happens is I feel like as opposed to shorts or TikToks or reels, one video can help you, you know, gain a fan much faster than, you know, a lot of smaller videos, in my opinion, especially if you tell a good story and if that story is relatable. And that's where I found a lot of success with my videos on Deep Pocket Monster, especially is the relatability. I think the fact that I'm not an expert in the space and the fact that I claim to not be an expert and I make fun of the fact that I don't know some of the names of the Pokemon or I mispronounce them, I think that's just a relatable thing. And then it also allows people to know that, hey, like I can help Pat and I can help his community too with my knowledge and my expertise. So what I find is a lot of people in my community are stepping up to contribute to the success of not just myself and the channel, but other people too. So much so that people are sending me actual products in the mail to then give away to others who aren't as fortunate to have those products. And so my channels become sort of a like a like a repository for just giving, which has been amazing. And that culture that we're building in the brand has been really exciting. I have been told that I am the Mr. Beast of the Pokemon space. I'm definitely not anywhere near where he's at, but I'm so grateful for that sentiment because he comes from a place of good storytelling, entertainment, and also giving. And that's kind of what we're trying to do on the channel as well in our own special way. And we've definitely learned a lot from 
people like him and Ryan Trahan and a few others on YouTube who are telling stories in really fantastic ways to pull from their examples and then incorporate them into the Pokemon world. You know, um, we're recording this on the week after Thanksgiving in 2022 and Mark Rober, I think is his name, had come out with a video about dropping an egg from space. I don't know, did you see that video? Yeah, we watch his videos as family all the time. It was like 27 minutes long and I watched the whole darn thing, you know, and it's like, just goes to show you that you can create, and he's got stories within stories inside these videos, right? But I don't normally ever watch him, but it came up when I, pulled up YouTube because I had extra time on my hands, right? And this is the value of creating these longer, really highly engaging videos is that YouTube will go out of its way to show the video to someone else and they will pay you. That's the other side of the equation, right? That doesn't happen on the other social platforms. That's kind of a big deal, right? It's a huge deal. I mean, it's a, it's a big bonus to get that payment as a result of people watching. And YouTube has all the mechanisms to be able to pay a creator who's gotten to that level and currently it's a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours of watch time to be eligible for the YouTube partnership program to get access to monetization there. But you don't even need a thousand subscribers to be able to bring brand sponsorships in if those match up with your audience, or even if you have some educational material sell into coaching or your online courses. And that, as long as you're building your reputation on YouTube and people are getting to see the real you, which is the benefit of video, or much easier on video than it is on podcasting, then, I mean, it's a, it's a perfect match, but the ad revenue has definitely become something, especially at this time of year. I find that November and December historically on all my channels seem to see a surge because a lot of companies are paying a little bit of extra money to show up for Christmas and sort of holiday time. They're unloading their budget. And so we're seeing higher CPM. So I'm actually way, way more profitable on the Deep Pocket Monster side of things than the SPI because it's just me and a producer versus me and a team of 10 and all this other stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I love what I'm doing at SPI and we're innovating and doing some things there as well. But the idea that I can just be the creator that I once was without the worry of all that stuff on Deep Pocket Monster and just have fun. I mean, if you watch one of my videos, you're like, this dude with a beard is playing with cardboard and cartoons on them, but he's having the time of his life. And there are people who've come across my channel who are like, this is odd and weird and I don't want anything to do with this. And that's fine. But what happens is your vibe attracts your tribe. And so I'm able to attract the other people like me, the nerds who are into this kind of thing. We can connect together. I mean, it's gotten to the point now where hundreds of people are signing up for our event next year. And these are people who didn't even know who I was a year and a half ago. It's not just because of me though, it's because of the community coming together. But the long form videos are amazing and, and it's, it's just a fun challenge to see how you can retain a person all the way through because of the shorter attention span. So we really focus on the hook in the beginning. I mean, even before that, the title and the thumbnail, we often start with the title. If the title is not interesting enough to click on, then it's not going to be worth filming, in fact. So let's pause there for a second. First of all, we're going to get into the retention stuff in a minute. But for those that are listening right now, and you're saying to yourself, what does Pokemon have to do with my business? I just want to remind you that Pat's other business is selling physical products in the case of switch pods, selling information products in the case of uh, courses and stuff and memberships with the smart passive income. So what we're going to talk about today could apply to any business. We're just using Pat's as an example. True, Pat, you could apply this to any kind of business, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, the Pokemon channel has become an amazing case study for what we teach at SPI. I mean, we have a course on YouTube, for example, and this channel is the case study and subject matter for a lot of the, how do you do this? And we've had many successful students come in 
who are just starting out. There's a person, one of our students who has a hockey channel and his first video went viral. That's so cool. Not super viral, but kind of viral. And it was because of these tactics that we're going to talk about in just a second here that can be applied to anything, like you said, education to entertainment to whatever. And it's just a matter of understanding what people are, are looking for and what would get a person to sort of be interested in spending some time with you and one of your videos on, on that platform. And it's only going to grow YouTube. And what YouTube is offering creators to make it even easier to, to reach an audience is incredible. We have some shorts news that, you know, shorts creators are going to get some love in early 2023 as well with what YouTube is doing for monetizing shorts and pushing it out there. And I, I do feel that the long form videos, though, are, are something people, especially you short creators out there and, and TikTokers, you shouldn't avoid. So retention, you mentioned it a couple of times. I'm going to summarize what I heard you say. And if you have anything you want to add, feel free. But it's really, really important that YouTube wants to keep people on the platform, right? So if you can create a video that keeps people watching as close to the end as possible, YouTube will reward you, right? I mean, is that the take home as to why retention is such a big deal? Because that's what we're here to talk about today, which is how to keep people watching all the way to the end of your videos. Is, is this the essence of it? Am I missing anything on retention? From a fundamental standpoint, yes, that's exactly it. Create videos that people, A, want to watch, and B, when they start watching, keep watching. Right. That's really it. Right. That's really it. Now, there's a lot of nuances and ins and outs with, with relation to that, but Basically, that's really what it really comes down to. And I think a lot of us create without even thinking about that in mind. We just create because we think people want the information and we have the information. We can give them the information, but it's how you structure it. It's how you position it. It's how you hook people in in the beginning and sort of what's at stake or what's the purpose? What's the reason? And we'll get into all that. But it's a waste not to think about that, though, the retention, because you have some amazing information. But here's the truth. Information is freely available anywhere now. It's how you frame it, how you position it, how you tell the story around it that will hold people's attention because that information is already there. It's just how do you differentiate it and how do you make it relatable? So let's talk about the steps that you take before you actually hit record. You know, what do we need to be thinking about? Yeah, so the way that we approach this, and this has been pretty revolutionary for me personally because this is the opposite approach that I used to take. I used to create the content based on what a person might want to see or based on something that I'm interested in. I, I film it you know, top five, whatever, or whatever the, the subject matter is, and then come up with a title for it. And in the world of YouTube, especially where titles and thumbnails are really the only thing you have to work with before a person watches any second of your video, the revolutionary approach was let's come up with a title and thumbnail combination first, one that would be in our eyes interesting enough. And now that we have a community and an audience, we can actually pressure test whether or not a person may be interested in that or not. We often will go to our Discord community because we have a Discord community now of our followers and, and subscribers and say, hey, what do you think of or what might you think this video is about? And we will pop a title in there and we'll get just immediate feedback on what they think that's going to be about or how interesting that might be. And if it's just kind of dull or if it's actually the opposite of what they think that that's going to be about actually, then we know that there's some massaging that needs to happen with that because what we don't want is to come up with a title like what a person might expect something and then they click and then it's something else that can potentially be clickbait. But you do need to have something that's click worthy, right? Or as the guy from Vertasium, that's another YouTube channel, he did a whole video on clickbait and how important it is to capture a person's attention. And there's a fine line between clickbait and what he calls legit bait. Legit bait, if you will, is legitimately creating a title that is fantastical, that is perhaps a little exaggerated, but you still fulfill the promise of that title 
in the video. Clickbait is you come up with some fantastical title, you click and it's not that at all or something completely different. And all you got was that click. Well, that's not going to be served either because sure, you might get the click, but YouTube's going to see that when people click and they don't watch, they drop off or exit or go watch another recommended video. Well, that also tells YouTube, hey, people click on this, sure, but they're not watching. So why should we share this with anybody else? It's when you can get that click and then the stick, right? The click and the stick. The click is the title thumbnail. The stick is the retention. So after a person clicks, which is the subject matter of this particular podcast today, that's really important. And it starts with two things. Number one, the hook. What is the reason why people should stick around? That needs to be mentioned somewhere. It's what's at stake. It's what a person's going to learn in the end. It's why this matters. If you can share that upfront in your video, and this doesn't just matter to video as well. It's any content, your blogs, your email, your podcast, everything, right? Give us an example of a hook. Well, a hook, for example, might be, so I have a, a video on the Pokemon channel about um, storing cards in your binder, right? That's kind of a boring topic. But the hook in the beginning is, hey, you might be storing your cards incorrectly in your binder. And if you don't do this correctly, your cards might be damaged in 10 years and lose all their value. Ah, I like that. Okay, 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 I got it. So it's the same subject, but we put a hook in there, a reason to stick around, or else there is no reason to stick around. And what ends up happening usually is based on the title and the hook, the way the video is storyboarded, the way the video actually is sequential after that changes as a result of the title. For example, we had another video idea and it always starts with an idea, right? Of, of whatever it might be of interest. And one of the ideas was to do some fun arts and crafts with these, what they call energy cards in the Pokemon space, which are, there's just, they're everywhere. Nobody cares about them. They're in every pack. They're not rare at all. And they often get thrown away. So, hey, let's not throw them away or just put them to the side. Let's do something fun with them. Let's do some arts and crafts. Now, a video titled Arts and Crafts with Pokemon Energy Cards may or may not be interesting to somebody. Why would a person click on that? Maybe if they're into arts and crafts, sure. But if they're not, well, they're going to pass it over. And as a result, YouTube's going to pass it over from recommending to others as well. So my team and I were like, well, okay, what could we do in this realm of creating arts and crafts that could get a person to stick around to the end? And this was a big challenge for us because it's, again, on the surface, not that interesting. So what we ended up doing was creating an entire story that involved my son challenging me to do a trick shot with one of these cards, throwing an energy card into like a clothespin on the other side of the room. And if I don't end up getting this by the end of the day, I lose a really important card to me, right? So that actually has nothing to do with arts and crafts, but it's what holds a person to the end of the video. And the story was, I am attempting to do this trick shot, but I get distracted by all these fun arts and crafts ideas that I can do as I see all the energy cards strewn about. I end up making a table. I end up making jewelry with my daughter with them. And all these things that I originally wanted to include in this video are wrapped into this challenge video. And this was our first video that hit a million views and it hit a million views in just three months as a result of that. So I was still able to share these fun arts and crafts things, but that wasn't why a person clicked. A person clicked because if I can land this amazing trick shot, I don't lose all my cards. Now there's something at stake. Now, if you're watching this or listening to this and you're like, okay, that's cool for Pokemon cards. And like, you know, I don't have a card or anything that I want to lose at stake. So how can I create that for an educational channel, for example? Well, you'll have to share this in a different kind of way. Let's say, for example, you're creating an educational video about advertising, Facebook ads, for example. Well, how can you create a moment where there's something at stake that a person has to stick around to the end for. 
So imagine video A, which is just five tips to help you with your Facebook ads. You may or may not watch that, and that's a traditional sort of blog post YouTube video title versus investing $200 to see if I can get a positive ROI on this campaign. Now, that's not the title, but that's like the idea of the video. Something along those lines, yeah. Right? Hey, I have $200 to spend on ads. Here's my product. We're going to see if I can nail the copy for this ad on Facebook to see if I can turn a profit. And I'm going to teach you five things along the way that I'm going to do. And we're going to see if it works. Now you have to stick around to the end because you have to see if it works. We as human beings don't like to not know what the ending is. So create a story that has an ending of sorts and teach around that. And that's going to stand out amongst the 50,000 other people who are creating titles like five ways to master Facebook ads. I love this, Pat. This is so freaking cool. And somewhere along the line, we're storyboarding this like you did with these power cards. You knew that you were going to do all these little craft things inside of the video, right? So you probably right. filmed all those separately and then you just kind of figured out a way to sew the whole thing together. Is that kind of what, what went on there? Yeah, storyboarding is sort of the next step. So once we create the title and thumbnail and once we have the hook, then before like creating the sequence of order of, of things to film, then we think of, well, what's the ending? And in some cases, we don't know exactly how it's going to end, but we know that there's going to be a result of some kind. I either get the card or I don't. And that way, we know where we're headed toward. And that way, we have sort of a point A where we're at now and a point Z with where we're going. We can just now create the story in the middle there. And that's where, you know, the sequence of events or steps happen. This is where you can start to insert some comedic elements or some pattern interrupts, things to just kind of throw people in for a loop, create new open gaps that will be closed later. All the kinds of strategies that you can use for retention, which we can get into a little bit later, can fit in there. But I, I use Notion to storyboard. Uh, I use a template creator for YouTubers from a friend of mine, Thomas Frank. He's really big on Notion. He's a big YouTuber as well. And we use this sort of template creator thing. But you could use just like a notepad if you want to just start to kind of go, okay, like, what do I want people to see first? After I say the hook, what do, what do we do? The other thing about this is this is a big thing that I see on YouTube still. Let's say I'm creating this Facebook ads video that we just talked about, right? $200 to spend. We'll see if we could turn a profit or not. And that, again, gives people a reason to stick around to the end. In many cases, people will start the video like this, just face to camera saying, hey, everybody, welcome back to the channel. In this video, I have $200 and I'm going to spend it on Facebook ads. And through the way, I'm going to teach you five different things and hopefully we'll turn a profit. I would grade that like a C plus in terms of an intro. At least you created a hook and at least you sort of, you know, have a reason to stick around. But what I find works really well is if you shorten the intro and just get right into the action. So maybe I might film that video by depositing $200 on into Facebook or creating my first ad copy and saying, hey guys, I just created my first ad and here it is. I have $200 to spend. We're gonna see what happens by the end of this. And I'm gonna teach you five things along the way to see if we turn a profit. You're already in it. If you watch a Mr. Beast video, for example, and again, he's he's at a different level, but you can follow his principles. If he has a video that's like, you know, 24 hours buried underground or something, right? Like he's already underground in the first 10 seconds. He's not explaining the whole thing. The explanation and the rules actually come about after the thing has started. And we've incorporated that into our videos as well. And we've seen a direct correlation because the beauty of YouTube is they give you a ton of analytics and the retention graph in the audience segment of your videos is one of the most important things you can look at. We saw a clear difference in explaining the rules and then going into the challenge versus 
just going right into the challenge and explaining the rules along the way. I mean, we have 85% of people still watching after 30 seconds in the latter case versus before it was 65, maybe 70 tops. People were dropping because they didn't want to hear it. If you can capture their attention with some action in the beginning, you'll hold them a little bit more until the end. Solid freaking golden. We've got more. So Pat, we've talked about all these important steps that you have to take before you start making these videos that you want people to watch. Then we talked about the title. We talked a little bit about the thumbnails. We talked about what's at stake, which are the hooks. And we talked about storyboarding. Now let's talk about little techniques that we can use to make sure people watch the video all the way to the end. You already suggested analyzing your videos, but I know analysis is also part of the story here. So go ahead and yeah. teach us. I mean, one more time, I want to reiterate your retention graph for your videos are so important, not just for the beginning, but throughout. You're able to see where people are dropping off and you're also able to see where people repeat watching. So these things that are worth watching again, you want to do more of what is working and less of what isn't, right? That's just number one. Number two, especially if you're just starting out and you don't have a lot of videos in your library yet to kind of see any patterns, you can go to other videos in your space that are similar. And if you're on a desktop, and I think now on, on mobile as well, there's like a light gray, often waveform above the timeline sort of drag player thing on the bottom right, or, or the bottom of the video, like the timeline. You're actually able to see a graph of the retention of those videos. You can see the most replayed areas. They're like giant humps in that graph. You can see the parts where people drop off. There's like nothing there. So you can actually take data from other people's channels that's publicly available in that way. It's not necessarily numeric, but you can see it in the graph and you can take that and apply it to what it is that you are creating. You can watch it, right? You can watch it and you can say, all right, what were they doing here when everybody dropped off and what are they doing here when things seem to be peaking, right? And then you could learn from that. Exactly. You can do this right now. And, and in fact, a good example of this is there is a lobster. His name is Leon the Lobster. The creator of this video channel went to a grocery store bought a grocery store lobster and decided to raise it as a pet. That, like, he's created videos about all kinds of things from Native American history to renovating cars. But when he created the Leon the Lobster video, I mean, that has seen 10 million views. And if you look at that video, you can see the retention. When Leon is in the tank and he's just crawling around, the retention is really high. When it's back to the guy talking or something that doesn't involve Leon and it's something else, maybe showing the kind of food, it drops. So, hey, let's just show more of Leon the Lobster. And every time he creates another Leon the Lobster video, which is really important for you to understand as a YouTuber, is if you have a hit video, create more hits or similar topic title videos like that so that YouTube can connect those videos together and recommend them to each other when people find them. But anyway, yes, you can see this in other people's videos and, and then, of course, your own. What's really important is to understand that because of the shorter attention spans that people have today, we need to have some movement on the video probably every 30 seconds, I would say, at a minimum. If you have just a talking head and you're talking to the camera and you're giving away all these tips, which is amazing, it can be the most valuable content in the world. Just naturally, people nowadays are going to tune out because there's nothing new to look at, just like how you're you know, moving the camera in and out right now. That's exactly what we need to do. Now, you don't need to go Coco Melon style. And Coco Melon, if you know what that is, that's like a show for kids. They flip to a new scene in their videos like every two to three seconds. Wow. I mean, this is probably why we have short attention spans nowadays because even, <laughs> even kids are watching videos where it's changing every couple seconds. I mean, I don't know if that's good or not, but that's what it is. And if you compare that to like My Little Pony back in the 80s, like you'll notice that My Little Pony will stay 
or any cartoon, really, Transformers, whatever, will stay on its like scene and the Autobots are talking for like a minute. Now it's like every two seconds. So I'm not saying you have to have like B-roll or text on the screen or some effect happen every two seconds. But every 30 seconds have something, a change of some sort. One easy thing you could do is if you have an educational channel and you have like five tips and that's sort of your general style, that that's fine. Again, remember, have a hook and a reason to stay till the end. But each tip, film it in a different location. Maybe one of them, you're walking around the office with a switch pot in your hand. Another one, you're outside in the garden, just in the sun. Just mixing it up a little bit resets people for every single tip and they kind of can take a life of, of their own and, and again, gives people a reason. It's not even a reason, oh, I'm going to stay watching this video because they're moving to different scenes, but it just almost subconsciously helps a person feel more alive with the video that they're watching when you mix it up a little bit and you move things around. And over time, you can include more things, experiment, try new things, watch other videos to see what they do. We've done a lot of captions, not just captions of every word, but we'll caption very important things. We learned that from Mr. Beast. If there's some important point, like we might say, 24 hours left, we'll have that big on the screen when we like just right across the screen, 24 hours left, but that's it, but that's enough. And then that kind of emphasizes that point. We might have a timer on the screen, which keeps moving and keeps kind of like honing in on that. Oh, this is coming in. This is like going somewhere and it's going to end at some point. And what's going to happen? So there's a lot of tricks and strategies you can use. I wouldn't go overboard with them to start. Just try a few things here and there. One of the easiest things you can do, especially if you're creating videos about products, this is one of my favorite tips. You take your iPhone or your Android phone and you record the product, whatever it is you're talking about, in slow motion. And what you can do is as your video is going and as you're talking about or reviewing this product, just overlay that video of you in slow motion, like the microphone you're reviewing or whatever it is. And it just looks like a really professional shot thing while you're talking and just like switching between you talking to the camera to that thing moving in slow motion is just, it adds a little bit of, of engagement there and you'll see a higher retention all the way through if you do things like that. Let's talk about callbacks and open loops also. This is something you and I mentioned when we were prepping. Yeah, callbacks are, are great because you can, you can bring back something. Like for example, there was a video I did recently on the Pokemon channel where I, for Halloween, went to a trade night. And the thing was, if you go to this trade night and you wear a Halloween costume, you get a free booster pack. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But what if my costume was a giant Pokemon binder? So I got foam core and I cut holes in it and I, I made it look like a real Pokemon binder and I you could open it and the Pokemon cards are there. So instead of trading with like a normal binder that people are used to seeing, I was trading with like a full body life-size binder. And that in and of itself was worth the thumbnail. You could see it on the thumbnail. Of course, we want to utilize that, which is great. But there was a person at this trade night who was like a giant muscular man. And I remember seeing him at the beginning of trade night. And I was like, that is a person who is recognizable, who will probably be seen throughout these videos. So I'm going to call him out every once in a while because he's really scary, but also he's like a gentle giant. So anyway, in the video that you watch, you see like the first time I see him, I'm sort of taken aback in, in the voiceover that I have. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy's huge. He's going to kill me. Like, what's, is he going to like <laughs> take my cards? I don't know. Playing on that a little bit. And then I see him again and he's like looking at my binder now and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I think I'm, I'm in for it. I'm in for it. I'm in for it. Four minutes later, he comes back and I'm like, oh, there's that scary guy again. And he ends up trading some very valuable cards that I need to complete this challenge. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're not as scary as I thought. So just the fact that I called him out in the beginning but didn't interact with him yet and then called him out again. It's like, oh, this person is kind of throughout. And then 
and again, the video is not about this guy. That was just a mini story in this larger story about this interaction with this giant dude who I thought was going to crush me. He wasn't really going to crush me, but I knew that that would be an amazing sort of thread line through the video that would feel good when I interacted with him later. And it's like, oh, he was actually a really nice guy. Like, that was really cool. So little things like that, you just start to learn and pick up on as you go. I mean, it's sometimes hard to plan that. Sometimes those things come in post-edit. You start to notice like a pigeon in the background of all your videos. And you're like, you know, the next time you go to that scene, you're like, wait, is that Joe, the pigeon, like the same pigeon from before? And you can just call back to it really quickly. And again, that's a pattern interrupt. That's a little thing. And it might, you know, Joe, the pigeon might not have anything to do with your video or your content, but it can get so wild that Joe, the pigeon will become merch that you'll print one day because you just called it out in a video one time. And I've seen that many times. What about open loops? What do we want to say about that? Yeah, open loops are similar in that you say something that doesn't have an answer yet, and then people have to wait for it. So in this challenge video that I did, the same one with the giant guy, you know, I was supposed to try to find a particular card, a, a gold medal Pikachu card. Pikachu is one of the most popular Pokemon. And so in the middle of the video, I said, oh my gosh, like I have to find this gold Pokemon. I haven't seen it yet. Who knows if I'm even going to find it? We'll find out. Now, that's not, again, the purpose of the whole video. That's like a micro challenge in the video. And then throughout, I keep calling back to that saying, hey, I still haven't seen any metal cards yet. I don't even know if this is going to happen. And if I don't get this, I'm not going to complete the challenge. And again, I opened that loop midway through the video and then closed it at the end. It's very important that you have to close these loops or else you leave people hanging, which you don't want to do. So in a more educational video, let's go back just kind of off the top of my head to that Facebook ads video, right? Maybe in number one, I might say, okay, here's the first ad that we're going to run and look at the copy. This is why I did that. See the image there? We're going to talk about that image in step number three, but let's not get distracted. I'll come back to that later. And then you do step number two, step number three. Okay. Remember in step number one, I talked about that image. Well, let's break down why I chose that image here. So I open that loop in step number one, and then I close it in step number three. Again, that's just an example, but that's a way that again, you hold people because maybe a person sees that image and they, they have the same idea. Hey, why did you choose that image? Well, I'll tell you, but not yet. You got to stick around to, to learn about that. Okay, they get to the end of the video, hopefully, <laughs> if we're following all of your instructions, right? How do we get them to take a desired action at the end of the video? What are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, so the best desired actions are to watch another video. That is ultimately what YouTube wants. They want people to go from one video to the next, right? And if you have multiple videos in a series, YouTube will eventually learn because of the similar titles, similar descriptions. You link those videos to each other or you have that video show up on the end screen of your first video and it moves into the next one. YouTube will eventually learn to just recommend those as suggested videos amongst each other eventually. But again, we want to get people to the end. And a very, very big thing that we learned, similar to how we now start with a title, like it's that big of a revolutionary thing that we've learned, is to not A, let people know that the video is coming to a close. This is something that I think a lot of us do, especially in the education space. We might have like five tips again. And you might say, okay, fifth and finally, the final tip of the day I have for you is, no, no, no. You're prepping people to already get ready to click off that video and move on to something else. You kind of want to take, and again, we pulled this from Ryan Trahan, from Mr. Beast. I watched a video channel called Sunny V2 where you don't even realize the video ended. It's, it doesn't cut off like mid explanation, but it just finishes so quickly that you're like, oh, 
okay, next video, here we go. I didn't even have time to know this was ending. So we've cut away the conclusions in our videos. Once we hit that climax or the challenge is complete or the final tip is revealed, we just move on to the, say, like, hey, and if you like this, click on the next video and I'll see you there. No explanation. I mean, you'll, you'll see this in your retention graphs. Typically, if you have a YouTube channel, go back and see what do the end of your videos look like? It's probably a huge cliff at the end of your videos if you've prepped your audience at all to get ready to leave. Why would we do that? We want them to stick around. So let's not even prepare them that the video's ending and let's just end it and have them be able to see or click on the next one. So that, that's really key. But again, very important. You have to close all the loops that you said. You got to get to that climax and get to that sort of, sort of that one thing. Now, there are some channels who do a really good job of including what's called a gush. G-U-S-H is sort of a, a Hollywood sitcom term. You see this a lot in, in shows like Seinfeld. I think I learned this from Daryl Eves, in fact. Very hard to do, but it can work. And that is where you get to the climax of the video, it's done, but then there's like a little extra something funny that happens at the end. Not like even a blooper, but just maybe another callback to something that was funny from earlier that then your audience will begin to learn happens in your videos. And if you do it right, your audience will make sure they get to the end. Who else does this very well? Marvel, right? You stick around oh, yeah. after the credits. Star to Wars see too. that gush yeah. moment. Star yeah. Wars as well. Yeah. Um, because you need to know what happens next. Very difficult to do because sometimes you might lead people to leave early. But if you can do this right and train your audience uh, to stick around to the end, then, man, I mean, YouTube is going to help you out a lot and push those videos out for you. One of the things you talked about was sparking emotion at the end. How in the world do we do that? If you can get a person to smile, laugh, cry, feel rage, whatever the emotion is. I mean, these are raw human feelings. If you can do that in your video, you're going to make a connection. And when you make a connection, that's when a person subscribes. People, this is a really big understanding. People don't subscribe because of the video they just watched. They subscribe because of the videos that they know will come, right? And so if you can draw some sort of emotion, they're going to want to come back for more of that emotion. And so a lot of channels do a really good job of really tying into that, right? So in, in many cases, with Mr. Beast again, it's joy and excitement and it's very over the top. I mean, th there is this term called the beastification of YouTube, which is a thing where, you know, everything is seemingly now needing to be so grand and big and, you know, you need to spend millions of dollars. No, you just need to tell really good stories that tell emotion. He just happens to have the money to be able to do that in a very big way. But there are channels out there. I mean, Leon the Lobster, this guy spent $34 at the grocery store and is now bringing emotion into it because we can resonate with an animal that has been kept in captivity who now the rubber bands were cut off and you see a discoloration where the rubber bands were and you lean into that and you feel so sad. But then you feel joy when they start to move around again and the coloration starts to fade back to normal and you start to feel alive just like Leon the Lobster feels alive. And in your voice and in your intonation and in the way that you film your video, you can bring that emotion out a little bit more. And I would definitely recommend watching other videos and seeing, well, where do you get emotional one way or another on the positive or the negative as a result of these videos? And why? Are they adding music perhaps to add a little bit more flavor, which is very popular in the podcasting world, definitely in, in the video world as well. Are there moments of, I mean, you can get really scientific with the emotion side of this. I mean, there's a really good book called Resonate by Nancy Duarte that goes into really scientific detail about the way that different speeches were done and, and the way that messages are portrayed where there's ups and downs and ups and downs. You know, the hero's archetype is, a, is another amazing way to frame a potential story in video of, you know, somebody starting out with a challenge 
And then going through a cycle of, of going into the unknown, trying something new, getting challenged and almost like not finishing. But then, yes, completing the challenge and task and coming out on the other side even better. I mean, I used that same archetype in a video for the Pokemon channel about Walmart because Walmart, I found, was doing some really scummy things on their website and actually selling fake Pokemon cards. So instead of just a video that was like, hey, everybody, I discovered something really important. Be sure to pay attention. Walmart is selling fake Pokemon cards. Here's where I found out. I actually interviewed a person who was scammed from Walmart and I brought out his story because that was the person we could relate to because I think we could all relate to having bought something that wasn't what we thought it was and to hear his side of it and to then step ourselves into his shoes because what ended up happening was I bought the same cards he did to A, confirm they were fake, but also B, try to get a refund. And it was just so frustrating. And I would tie into that, right? Because again, that's something we could all relate to. So in that video, the Walmart scam video, I am showing people just how frustrated I'm getting, right? Because I'm trying to get this refund for obviously fake cards and they keep pushing me off or they keep sending me to somebody else. And I'm talking to six different customer service people when I've been wronged and I can't even get my money back. And I think those kinds of emotions and, and actions that you do in your video or things that you explain or stories that you tell that people can relate to is what's going to earn you a subscription and what's going to get people to talk about your channel and what's going to get people to continually watch your videos as soon as they come out and, and then watch all the way through. Wow. Hopefully people have been brought through a series of emotions while they've been listening slash watching to this interview, Pat. First of all, where can people discover more about you and all the great things you're doing? And if you have a preferred social platform that you want to send them to, to connect with you, where would you want to send them? Yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate you and, and, and appreciate all of you for listening and, and your time and attention. The channel that we've been talking about today is Deep Pocket Monsters. So if you're interested in Pokemon things or just how I'm doing what I'm doing there, I mean, I'm following my book, Superfans to a T, even the part about creating an event and bringing people together. That's happening in June of 2023 next year. But Smart Passive Income is where I'm talking about this as a case study amongst other things. We're building community over there. We're really, really big on community and, and that being a part of a, of a brand's future. And we're sort of taking the lead in the online space. We, we think about creating communities, launching communities, et cetera. So you can check that out, smartpassiveincome.com. And preferred social media channels, I mean, Twitter for now, <laughs> at Pat Flynn, and Instagram as well, at uh, the same mark, at Pat Flynn. Pat, thank you so much for revealing so much of what you've learned over the last few years to our audience. We are so much better because of it. Really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 544. And if you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.